Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, Tiffany, I'm going to let you introduce this topic today. All right. Okay, go for it. I will go for it. Well, so first let me explain why this idea sort of came to me, because sometimes we hear something in the background of our busy lives and we're like, oh, hey, that could be an episode. Mm -hmm. So I was on YouTube. I really was homesick. So I've been sort of sitting around the house, caretaking for him and, you know, trying to do nothing in the meantime and relax because it's exhausting to take care of a sick kid. And I was watching YouTube and I'm trying not to watch the political stuff. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to sort of weed it out, weed it out. And so I was like, oh, hey, this thing popped up, you know, Brene Brown. Sure. That sounds more like uplifting than uh, your typical political horror show. So uh, I clicked on this sort of motivational speech by Brene Brown, who's not really someone I generally listen to, but of course I know the name mm -hmm. and I know I sort of had an idea what to expect. And she was talking about lots of different stuff, but one of the things that she was musing on was this sense of belonging mm. and how much of a human need it is to belong and to feel that you belong. And that might be to a place or it might be to a community or to a group of friends, a family, a profession, usually more than one thing. We want to belong to more than one of those groups. And it's something that most humans struggle with because we are such social creatures. All of the scientific tests and studies have proven how humans need meaningful connection and meaningful interaction and all of this to survive, literally just to survive. I was thinking about that. And, and of course she had a deeper point to it, which is not really what I want to talk about with you. And her deeper point was that, you know, you need to be able to belong to yourself first, not feel the need to belong to outer groups, you know, <laughs> I'm rolling my around. eyes slightly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But that's, that's not really what I was, what I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about was what struck me was sort of just her preface of it's a human need to belong. And I thought, you know, what is it that motivates an expat to willingly and consciously leave at least the country where they technically belong? Mm -hmm. And that usually also entails the culture they belong to, the family that they belong to, the community they belong to, and all other all sorts of other things that they belong to in some some degree and to go somewhere where they ostensibly don't belong. Yeah. And so if if we as humans feel this strong need to belong, why do some of us choose to totally abandon where we quote unquote belong and go somewhere where we don't belong? Yeah, and for the purposes of this discussion, maybe we eliminate the people who move out of necessity, like they have to go to make money for their family or because of what's happening right. in their country. They have to leave for some other external reason. We're talking about people who just, everything's fine at home. You're just deciding to go do something else. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That's a good starting point. What's your first reaction to that as the person who left initially? I think that I've always had this desire to set myself apart from other people. I don't know if that's a personality thing, if it's part of being a creative type, if it's maybe because I came from a big family with a bunch of sisters. I, I don't know what it is, but I've always felt this itch to be the different one. 
I, I'm not going to say I never felt that need to belong because of course nobody wants to be the unpopular kid at school or the outcast. Obviously I wanted to belong and I wanted to have my, you know, my set of friends and all of that. But there was always been something in me that's like, I like to be a little bit different from everyone else. I don't feel the same urge to like, be like everyone else. And not that everyone else does, but just like dressing a little differently. I'm just thinking back to when I was in middle school. <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> I got off on that. Yeah. Um, and I, honestly, I think that by being an expat, it's like you're in a constant state of being a little bit different from everyone else. And even if you assimilate into that culture, you're still always like the foreign one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you're referring to, maybe at least in my head about you being in middle school is the fact that for at least a year, if not more, we've mentioned this on the show before, but at least a year, if not more, you wore the color purple almost entirely all <laughs> every day. <laughs> oh my God. Like full outfits. Full outfits like, of purple. Including the tights and the shoes. Yes. Like everything Everything. Purple. I have a picture. I have an example of this. I could try to find it and you could post it of us okay. at a birthday party. Find it because I, no, I have no photos from myself of that age. It's a sacrifice because I look like such a dope in this picture. And well, at least you... you're not totally dressed in purple from head to toe. <laughs> but I mean, we all thought that was pretty cool that you did that. So... I guess there was something about the way you stood apart and the way that you just went all in on the color purple was an interesting choice. I, I mean, it's like one of those things that I've always felt is that I don't know that I've ever been so passionate about anything that <laughs> <laughs> I would dress myself in it from head to toe. But back to the the idea at hand. Yeah, so th there is that desire to to set yourself apart and now you have set yourself apart. Have you found that that has been, now that you've been there for almost two decades, is it still setting you apart enough in the way that you would have wanted when you were moving abroad in the first place? Well, I'd like to think that as I mature, I don't have the same need or desire to constantly set myself apart. I'd like to hope that I don't need that kind of attention anymore. I mean, I think there's still a little bit of it within me. Even, you know, as we grow and we mature, we still carry parts of our personalities forward are immature personalities and that's fine but i i don't feel it as a need as much as i used to my family would say that i was always an attention seeker mm. and my friends growing up would say the same i think my boyfriends my ex-boyfriends would probably say that too you always need to be the center of attention and i always put that down to being a leo i was like i just wrote it off i'm a leo I like to be in the center of attention and generally people who like to be the center of attention will often go into the performing arts, which of course I didn't continue the pursuit of that, but I did go quite a long ways along that path. So I don't know. I think, I don't know. I think I've outgrown that need to a certain extent, but it's probably still a little bit of it is still there. What about the sense of belonging? Did you find a community in Rome where you belonged, where it really felt like you were a part of it? You know, I don't know. I don't think so. I think I, I kind of did. I found a temporary group. I think like my second year in Rome was probably one of the periods in which I felt at least um, the most socially content. The second, like let's say the second and third years I lived in Rome, I just 
I had this huge social circle of people who were almost entirely expats, not all American. They were from all over the world. There were a few Italians in there, but it was a very international group of, I guess, all people who quote unquote, didn't really belong. I think we all sort of fell in together because we all had that in common, I guess. And so we became this sort of, like, you can kind of imagine like a group of high school kids who were, you know, who don't fit in anywhere else. And so they all end up melding together as one sort of quote unquote outcast group. I think that period may be so, but I don't really have that anymore. I still have some, you know, I've retained a few of those friendships, but my life is just much less social now than it ever was mm-hmm. um, yeah. because I'm married and have a child and, and all of that. So I don't, I don't really feel like, I mean, I don't, we've talked a long, a lot of times about me living in Italy and how, how much I feel a part of the culture and how much I don't. And I'm sure I've said before, it doesn't matter how long I live here. I'm never going to feel fully Italian. It's just never going to happen. I'm always going to feel like a certain amount of an outsider, but for me, at least, I don't know that that matters. Yeah. I mean, what did you feel like when you were over? Did you, you must've felt completely out of your, yeah, out of your, what do you call it? Fish out of water. Fish out of water. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, I felt completely out of my element. I definitely didn't feel like I belonged. I mean, sometimes I feel just grateful that I lived there and you lived there because it gave, when I moved to Rome, I, I knew one friend there, but I did find for that whole year that I lived in Rome, no matter how many friends I made, it did still feel like I didn't totally belong. I think that that's because in part I wasn't involved in anything. Like Derek was part of a school study program. I was mostly spending every day wandering about and doing my own thing. There really is kind of nothing more delicious maybe and also more solitary than wandering about a city by yourself and just exploring your own thoughts and ideas. I mean, that's like almost the opposite of belonging. It's being a ghost walking along the world as it happens around you. And it's incredibly inspiring, but incredibly lonely at the same time. Yeah. And it's interesting because you, I, I would find myself wondering things like, say I went to Piazza Navona every week, once a week, let's pretend. I don't remember how frequently I was there, but let's say. And I would recognize similar people there. Certain people would be selling things there, or they would be begging for money there, or they would be the same musicians that would perform. And you'd see them again and again and again. And sometimes I'd wonder, do these people recognize me as much as I recognize them? We keep coming across each other. And I would feel like my recognition of others was much higher than their recognition of me. Of course, part of that could be if it's a performer, they're busy and they're encountering a lot of people. But I mean, even the people that ran the businesses on the street I lived on, you know, I felt like I recognize these people. I pass them every day. Do they have any recollection or recognition of me at all? Oftentimes it felt like they didn't, that every encounter we had was the new time. (laughs) Every time you went into a shop and talked to the same person, you felt like they never recognized you. Yeah. Yeah. Or in, and that could be, I don't know if that could be Italian culture. So you didn't go into Antica Cacciata very often then I'm guessing. (laughs) I did some, but I couldn't talk. So the guy who, the man who runs that shop and his wife are the most friendly people. And I swear my mom stayed with me for one month 
my very first year in Rome, she stayed with me in Trastevere and she was chatting with those guys by the end of the month. Like they <laughs> yeah. knew her and then Patricia. Yeah. It's <laughs> but a, you're right. I, they're an exception, I think. Yeah. It's a, just for those of you who don't know, that's kind of a uh, specialty cheese and pesto sauce and I don't know, all kinds Salum, of really delicious salu, things. Salumi. Yeah, yeah. They've got some yummy stuff. It's Very. run by the nicest people in Rome. I yes. think literally. I think that's definitely true. I mean, they were always very warm to me when I was in there fumbling around trying to get them to know what I wanted. But I was also thinking when you brought up the idea of this topic is that I think sometimes we kind of identify a tribe of people that we belong to. And I'm sure it has to do with my long, now long background in radio that started in my 20s. But when you put me together with a group of radio people, whatever it is about that group, we can all be vastly different people and vastly different life circumstances. And even still, we somehow speak the same language and we're very passionate about the same types of things. And I think that there is a difference between like a casual podcaster and a radio person. I do think there's a difference in the lingo. But, you know, as much as I get into the writing world or become friends and work in different areas, it still is when I get into a room of like the radio people, it's a different thing. It feels different. The sense of belonging I have is different. You it's have a shared experience with them. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, can you have that? across two different professions if you do simultaneously two different professions like radio work and writing can you develop that sense of belonging with two distinctly different groups like for me I feel like I got the writing and I got this sort of like the tour guide experience down and and I don't always feel like I fit in with other writers to be honest mm -hmm. so you're not alone actually I I love being around writers but I sometimes feel a little bit like I don't belong either. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I'm hanging out with tour guide people, like Rome people, like people who, you know, I, I feel like these people get me. Like they know we can, we make the same jokes. We, we, <laughs> yeah. we get these stupid little minute hist historic jokes that no one else would get. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just the difference of what you're in longer. That's what I don't know. Cause it, when you, yes, I think that you can get into a different group. Certainly. But there will always be this group that is the base of you, the mm -hmm. base of who you are, like what Maybe the, what what the personality first. was built upon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it used to be when I was trying to get into NPR, which was such a long process, as you know, if you listen to this show, it took me years and years uh, of working there for free. And I was working at a bar. You know, at the time, I would have said that the people that I worked with in the bar and the regular customers there we all spoke the same language like I could make fun of that customer over there because I knew exactly what he would find funny or you know that we were all in this same area and so when I finally did get hired by NPR and I had to quit that job I felt just bereft because I felt like I'm leaving I'm not going to be one of these people anymore and mm -hmm. but then eventually over time that went away I didn't miss being those people you know, I was still them. It wasn't like I was mean or something if I ran into one of them or, or something. I still belonged, but I became a different thing. But yet, even as I try on these other things, those radio people are still, you know, like your tour guiding people. They're the base. They're the base language. And in the writing, it's like you're in, at least for me, it feels like I'm aspiring to to be this something else, this thing that I always thought I could be. 
but I have not accomplished it yet. And and you know me, I know a lot of writers. I'm friends of tons of writers. So are you. But still, there's something about there's some difference where I feel like I'm not quite them yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I think that's a big part of this. Our sense of yearning to belong, a lot of it is the imposter syndrome. I mean, depending on what you're trying to belong to, of course, it might be just be you want to fit in with your peers. And a professional sense, I think, you know, who says that you have to be published to belong to a writer, you know, to be a writer, first of all, that no one says that, I don't think, these days, at least. I mean, I just look at my Instagram feed, which is, you know, the, the, the best way to judge other people is just look at the Instagram. Right. That's know? all true. That's, yeah. how, that's how you get a direct insight into other people's psyches. Just Instagram. No, mm. I mean, obviously I'm joking, but uh, I just feel like I follow a lot of writers on Instagram, like a ton of writers. And from what I see totally through the awful lens of Instagram, it seems like whether they are published, whether they are self-published, whether they are querying agents, whether they're just starting those who post almost completely writing content, they are all in. Whatever stage they are on, on the path, they have taken up that mantle of writer and they are running with it. So I don't necessarily think it matters where you are on, you, or it shouldn't you know, matter where you are on your path. I guess it's more of a sense of how you feel. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just spitballing. I have no answers to this question. <laughs> I just, and I think that that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I brought it up to you, because I'm like, I have no idea. Why do I choose to live in a place where I, you know, I truly don't feel like I 100% belong. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I always am going to feel like the foreigner, you know, when I talk to my son's teacher and I cringe because I know I'm making grammatical errors and, she, and she's a teacher. Her ears are like just waiting to hear errors because she's a teacher. And here I am an adult older than her and I'm making all these grammatical errors or when I'm writing on the chat of the mom's group and I know that I'm making grammatical errors mm -hmm. and I speak pretty good Italian but I know I make them and you know that's just one way that you could feel at least as an expat that you don't belong. Well you made me think of two different things as far as the writers group or any group like that is concerned. I have a friend that always says that it's important to to not only look up the letter but to look back the idea is basically like, don't forget how far you've come, regardless of where you are on the route. You know, we have a tendency to look up at the things that we haven't yet accomplished and forget uh -huh. the things that we already have. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a real question that I've had even moving away and coming back and not falling back into my old profession full time is that by moving abroad, you made yourself different. But you might have made yourself different permanently. I think so. And my question is, I guess what I was wondering when you were saying all that about the grammatical errors was, even if you move back home, quote unquote, to the United States, I don't know that you're going to feel like you belong. No, I don't think I will. I don't feel like I belong when I'm there. Like, I love being there. It's not that I don't enjoy it, but I don't feel like I belong. But that was like right away. That was like after a year or two of living here, I already was like, ah, <laughs> yeah, you know, this is too, this is, you know, but noticing all these things that, that don't feel wrong now. And even with my family, you know how you talked about how like you left the pub, you, mm -hmm. you were like, okay, I'm not really, I can be friends with those people still, but I'm not really part. Do I still really belong to that group? I, not with my mom, but like with my half sisters and brothers-in-law and when I'm with them, like I love them to bits, 
but there is a little part that's like, do I still really 100% belong in this family? Or am I like an honorary member now? Because they, you know, I'm never here. Yeah. I mean, they've done so many things that you have not been a part of at this point. Oh yeah. But I don't know. That said, I could see the other side of it where if you did come back or if you stayed in Rome for the rest of your life, that at some point it would change. Like it would, you would become, I stand apart, but I also completely belong to, to whatever it is, this group, this place. Yeah. There's really no answers to it. I was talking to some other moms who were not moms from Aurelio school, but who, who I met at a party of a, of an international school. And so these are people who are moving around a lot, a lot more than me. I was talking to these two moms and one of them was Canadian from Montreal, Francophone, who uh, her parents were from Haiti and her husband was from Kenya and they were living in Rome and raising their daughter in Rome. And she worked for one of the UN organizations that's uh, located in Rome. And I think her husband did as well. And she said, oh yeah, you know, my daughter, she... Um, she really identifies as a Canadian, but we've never lived there. Like she was born there, but then we left immediately afterwards and we've never lived there. And, you know, I hope, I hope that she'll be able to move back one day. And I said, do you think that she identifies all at all with Italy? She was probably 13 or 14, probably going to be there at least until she's an adult. And I was just kind of like, do you think she identifies with Italy? Does she feel Italian? She's like, oh no, she doesn't feel like an Italian. And, you know, she goes to an international school, so she's speaking English. I don't know how well she speaks Italian, probably average, I would assume, because she doesn't really have the opportunity in the sense that all her friends are speaking English. I'm guessing I don't know this for a fact, but I just thought how strange, how strange to be a young person and to grow up in a country and never really feel like it's where you belong or where you're from. It's one thing for me. I moved here at 27, I think. And no matter how long I live here, I still spent the first 27 my years of my life somewhere else. Mm. But if you spend like from one until 18 in a country, how is it possible that you don't feel part of it? And what does that mean? What is it like to live like that? And do you feel a part of it? Like if she moved to Canada, would she suddenly right. realize that Italy was much more part of her than she thought? Well, that's what I was thinking. I didn't say this, but I thought when the day comes that she leaves, all she's used to as far as home is Italy. So surely there must be some, some amount of Italy that's just part of her, that's just in her, even if it's not really a language thing, just like culture and, and lifestyle, it must be there. I mean, it must be something too. I'm just guessing, not having met these people, but it must be something about the parents as well. Because, you know, when you're, think back to when you're a little, little kid, basically whatever situation you live in is what you think the world is like, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not until later on that you realize that the world is much bigger and, oh, wow, there's a whole different terrain over here, you know, than there was that I saw growing up. That's the thing too, is that, what are the parents doing that keep her feeling distant? Because otherwise, wouldn't she just be taking it in as it comes? Like, this is the place that I'm from. This is what a tree looks like. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I wonder. I think in that case, maybe we all know the uh, criticisms I have for the Italian school system. Okay. We know this. But I mean, maybe an Italian school would have been a better choice in that case so that you'd feel like 
if your other friends are Italian, you're going to feel more Italian. You're going to speak Italian, right? Like mm-hmm. I have another friend who's from America and her, her, the father of her kid is English, you know, and they met in Italy and baby was born in Italy and he's lived his entire life in Italy. And he's, I think 14 now as well, but he's been going to Italian school. He prefers to speak Italian, both of his parents, native English speakers. He spoke English before he spoke Italian, but you meet him, he'll talk to you. And like, if I see him, he'll speak to me in Italian because he knows I speak Italian. He prefers it. Hmm. So the schooling, I think, plays a huge, huge part. And as much as I am often like, if only I had an extra 20 grand a year and I could send Aurelia to international school. But then I think, well, how Italian would he feel? He does have an Italian father, though, mm-hmm. and Italian grandparents and aunts and uncles. Well, aunts. So I think he'd get enough of the Italian side from that side of his family. But I do wonder how different his experience would be if he was going to international school. I mean, I guess the big final question for you is, is that, I mean, you kind of said to begin with that being other is okay, but you've also expressed some sadnesses about being a little bit more out in the world too. So I guess the ultimate question in, in when you think about this is, is how do you feel about it? The lack of belonging. Well, honestly, I think that having a family here, and I don't mean my in-laws, although I adore them and, you know, my sisters-in-law and everything, but I mean like Claudio and Aurelio, having that, I think that makes up for a lot. For me personally, for everyone, it's different. I think if I were single and like my social circle and my work, which now I work from home, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, was sort of all I had to quote unquote belong to, I think that might not be enough for me. But having them and having such a close relationship with them, obviously, my husband and my child, you know, I belong to them. Mm-hmm. Like that is inescapable. I will always belong with them and to them. And so I think that that fills a lot of the hole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should probably leave it there. But great idea for a topic. Thank you, Brene Brown. Yes. Even though I rolled my eyes at your conclusion, should you ever hear this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, remember, uh, I will find that picture of Tiffany in the all-purple outfit, and we can post it to our social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for the Bittersweet Life podcast. And for goodness sake, interact with us on social media, people. Our, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest here. Our interactions, and I think it's probably the algorithms, as they say. I don't, I don't know what that means, but I've heard people complain that it's the algorithms. I'm just going to pretend like I know what that means. Guys, we're not getting a lot of interaction there. So interact with us on your preferred social media outlet. Follow us for starters, interact with us, comment, like repost, share to your story, whatever it is that you do so that we can, you know, reach more people. That would be great. Yeah. And uh, if you feel so inclined and you want some bonus content every month, we do two bonus episodes every month over on Patreon. You just have to become a regular monthly subscriber for as little as $5 a month. Find us at patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast. And there's also links in our show notes or at the bittersweetlife.net. And until next time, this is the bittersweet life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thank you.